1: Here's your Monday Night Football theme because Monday Night Football is back in our nation's capital, Landover, specifically a place that has not been kind to the home team. More on that coming up in a moment. A very short sprint of a podcast. Uh, as you all gear up for the game tonight, I'll have my keys to a win over Seattle and my prediction coming up uh, in a minute. Uh, Michael Sean Dugar, who covers the team for the Athletic, will join us in the second segment. We'll talk a little bit about some of the sports and some of the things in sports that happened over the weekend in the final uh, segment. The show today is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com. Use my promo code DC, and they will instantly double your first deposit all the way up to $1,000. Put in a thousand, you'll have two thousand to wager with. Put in five hundred, you'll have a thousand to wager with. If there's something already in the promo code when you go to sign up, erase it and write Kevin DC. That's mybookie.com or mybookie.ag. It's a fair place. It's safe. You will get paid if you win. The point spreads, money lines, totals are all fair. The pricing is great. They're giving away free money even if you've got a place where you're wagering already. Take their free money and sign up at mybookie.com or mybookie.ag and use my promo code kevin dc just a reminder if you haven't subscribed to the podcast it would really help us if you did doesn't cost you a thing and rate us and review us that's really crucial if you can rate us five stars for worst case um, and write a one to two sentence review on apple spotify and wherever else uh, you're listening where they offer up the opportunity to rate and review. Um, that's tremendous for us and really helps the business side of this podcast. Many of you do- have done it recently and it's much appreciated and many of you haven't. Um, and I understand, um, that you, you know, you either forget or you just don't feel like doing it. You could literally pause the podcast right now and it would take no more than a minute to do it. But, um, if you can do it, that's great. If you can't, uh, I understand that as well. Okay. Um, Monday night football in Washington has been a disaster, as we know. Uh, eight straight losses for Washington. Their last win on Monday night came during that 2012 season when they beat the Giants in December of 2012, 17-16 behind Robert Griffin III and Alfred Morse, part of that seven-game win streak, on their way to a 10-6 and division title before they would lose a playoff game uh, to the Seahawks um, in one of the most infamous moments in franchise history when Robert Griffin and the third went down in a heap on that tarnished, torn-up FedEx field. Uh, look, late last year they played a Monday night game. Uh, it wasn't scheduled for Monday night. It was a Sunday scheduled game against Pittsburgh, remember, uh, because of COVID. It got rescheduled to a Monday evening, 5 o'clock kickoff. They won that game. Maybe there's a good feeling about playing Monday Uh, Night uh, after what they did in Pittsburgh last year. I have no idea what kind of crowd they will be expecting tonight. I did hear last week that ticket sales were not really up that much after the two wins, the back-to-back wins over Tampa and Carolina. Maybe they'll have a big walk-up tonight. Uh, A brisk night. The winds are supposed to die down by kickoff. We'll see. Um, Temperatures dropping into the low to mid-30s during the game. So perfect football weather if the wind dies down. Um, but you've got a Seattle team that's really struggling coming in with a quarterback that's banged up um, and an era that looks like it may be on the verge of coming to an end. And then you've got a Washington team that's won two in a row. And even before winning the two in a row, the truth is they were playing hard and they were competing, even though I and many of you thought the season was over on Halloween night when they lost to Denver 17-10. to Denver, by the way, is now just a game out of the AFC West lead. Uh, They beat uh, the Chargers at home yesterday. They beat the Cowboys a few weeks ago after beating Washington. So, you know, that loss doesn't look that terrible. They've won two of the last three um, since uh, beating Washington. And I think Washington's given and I think that's the expectation I have tonight more than anything else is you're going to get a really strong effort. You're going to get a really competitive effort. And I think offensively, you're going to get a team that is going to continue to do what it's been doing, which is at the very least move the football, possess the football, uh, something Seattle's been having uh, an issue with. A win tonight puts them in the seventh spot in the playoff picture. It's amazing from where they were. A, A win tonight because of everything that happened yesterday and on Thanksgiving night puts them in the seventh spot. It also puts them back very much in the division race. They would be in second place at five and six, a half game ahead of Philadelphia, and two back in the loss column against the Cowboys, two games back, you know, in total with two games left against the Cowboys. The Cowboys, by the way, having COVID issues. Mike McCarthy's got COVID. He's not going to coach in their Thursday night game against New Orleans. Um, They will have plenty of time to rest after the New Orleans game before their game with Washington, um, which comes on December 12th. Washington has the Raiders after uh, tonight's game, and then they host the Cowboys on December 12th. Interestingly, the Raiders will have this long break from Thanksgiving until next week's game against Washington, where Washington's got to go to the West Coast. And Washington will play Sunday in Vegas and then have to play the following Sunday against a Cowboy team that would have played Uh, 11 days earlier so a bit of a scheduling unfair quirk but the Cowboys seem to be in a bit of trouble they've got injuries and now they've got COVID issues as well so look I'm not going nuts here but you have to acknowledge a win tonight puts them in the seventh spot all right, in a wild card position in the NFC. It puts them two games back of first place in the division with still two games to play against a Cowboys team that's been playing poorly, is sick, and, by the way, injured. It's the way these NFL seasons go. You cannot predict them at all. It's so hard to predict an NFL season. This one may be as wacky as any as we've had in a long, long time. I mean, who are the best teams right now in the NFL? New England? Maybe. Uh, Green Bay? Probably in the NFC. But there's a lot of football left. It's been fun. All right, uh, let's get to a quick preview, keys to beating Seattle, and then uh, a prediction here in the opening segment before we move on to our first guest. All right. Washington beats Seattle if. There is an obvious if in tonight's game. I think sometimes the ifs aren't that obvious except for the, you know, cliched obvious, don't turn the ball over, don't commit penalties, don't beat yourself, et cetera, et cetera. But tonight it's about the quarterbacks. The two starting quarterbacks, if they play like they've been playing, Washington will win the game because Russell Wilson has been playing poorly since his return from the finger injury, which I don't think is completely healed, and Taylor Heineke has been playing very well. I mean, off of his best game of a of his young, you know, brief career, the the game that he had against Carolina. Look, Russell Wilson had a QBR of 12 in his first career shutout loss to the Packers two weeks ago, and a 22.2 QBR in the 23-13 loss to Arizona last week. He's yet to throw a touchdown pass since coming back, and he's got two interceptions, he's taken seven sacks, and he's barely completing 50% of his passes in the last two weeks. Meantime, Taylor Heineke, 42 of 54 with four touchdowns and no picks and wins over Tampa and Carolina. A 92.5 QBR last week, one of the best of the season for any quarterback. He wasn't good last week. He was great last week. He wasn't good with the game on the line against Tampa Bay two weeks ago. He was great with the game on the line in the win over the Buccaneers two weeks ago. We can have the debates about the future and what he is and where he fits in, but forget that for now. The way he's playing now in the last two games has been spectacular. He's been a high-level quarterback the last two weeks, especially with the game on the line. And for him... How he goes, so goes the offense. In the team's four wins this year, he's completing 74.4% of his passes, 8.2 yards per pass attempt with a 9-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio, and a 117.6 passer rating. In the team's six losses, he's completing 60.7% of his passes, so basically 14% less. He's averaging 6.7 yards per pass attempt. He's got a 6-8 to touchdown to interception ratio. Not good. And his passer rating is 73.5, some near 40 points under where he uh, is in their wins. 44 points, excuse me under where he is during the wins at 117.6. Washington beats Seattle tonight if quarterback play continues the way it has been for both of these teams. Seattle's quarterback playing poorly, Washington's quarterback playing well. I'm not so sure it's really that much more difficult. Unless Russell Wilson leaves the game with an injury and Geno Smith comes in, they were actually really competitive in losses with Geno Smith in the game. You know, Geno Smith, when he was in for Seattle for Russell Wilson, um, he lost a close game to the Steelers, twenty-three to twenty. Lost a close game to the Saints, thirteen to ten. Beat Jacksonville, thirty-one to seven. And that final start, Geno Smith for Seattle was twenty of twenty-four for one hundred and ninety-five yards, two touchdowns, no picks, and a thirty-one-seven win over the Jags. Russell Wilson's been horrendous in the two games back. Washington beat Seattle tonight if the defense continues its resurgence of the last two weeks. One of the worst defenses in the league, it was, through the first eight weeks of the season, one of the worst defenses in the league since the bye has been much better. An excellent game against a banged-up Tampa offense that didn't play that well, um, and it didn't, but still Washington had a lot to do with that. And then a solid effort against Carolina last week in Cam Newton's return. By the way, as an FYI, Miami's defense made Carolina's offense look even worse than Washington's defense did a week ago. Miami yesterday held the Panthers to 10 points, 198 yards, and 4 of 14 on third down, and made Matt Rule basically bench Cam Newton because Cam Newton was so ineffective. Cam Newton yesterday against the Dolphins was 5 of 21 with two interceptions. He had career lows of a 5.8 passer rating and a 5.4 QBR against Miami. For comparative purposes, he had a 120.5 passer rating and a 64.4 QBR against Washington. So he played much better against Washington than he did against Miami. Washington, though, played well defensively last week, especially on third down. Two for nine, the Panthers were on third down last week, and one for three on fourth down. You know, in the last two weeks, the worst third-down defense, which it still is statistically in the league, is 6-for-19 on third down. That's just over 31%. That's excellent. That will be a key tonight. Seattle was 2-for-10 last week against the Cardinals um, on third down. So if Washington's defense has been improved, which it has been over the last two weeks for sure, then I think you will see more of that tonight against the Seattle offense. The Seattle offense is the worst third-down offense in the league. So it's the worst third-down offense in the league against the worst third-down defense in the league, but the third-down defense has improved the last two weeks. By the way, Seattle's also got the worst fourth-down offense in the league. Seattle's offensively is really a mess right now. So I think the defense has a chance to have a third-straight productive night, and it would be disappointing if it doesn't. So Washington's defense... Continuing to play at the level that they've played at the last two weeks is another key in winning the game tonight. Thirdly, get the ball to your playmakers in space by throwing it. All right. Seattle's defense has been better recently against the run, um, but they've had issues with playmakers in space, and there was gonna there's going to be opportunities tonight for McLaurin and Samuel and Logan Thomas and Carter and McKissick and Gibson and others. You know, especially if Samuel and Logan Thomas are back and it's looking more and more like that that is a possibility. Spread it around. That's what Colt McCoy did last week. 35 of 44, Colt McCoy was. 11 of 11. 11 catches for Rondell Moore on 11 targets. Zach Ertz, the tight end, had eight catches on nine targets last week. It's going to be an opportunity perhaps not to run the ball and stay balanced like they've been the last two weeks, but to throw the ball tonight against Seattle. Uh, spread it around, get your uh, playmakers the ball in space. Don't bang your head against the run if it's not there. Although I'd love to be balanced. I'd love to dominate time of possession, and Seattle's been a bad time of possession team, Uh, you know, especially recently, and Washington's been very good, Um, and Washington's been more balanced. But I want them to move the football any way they can move the football, and I think tonight they're going to throw it to move it. Lastly, Washington beats Seattle if the mindset for Seattle is more we're done than desperation. Maybe they're looking at the standings and they recognize, hey, if we win tonight, we're in this thing. We're back in it. But there just seems to be a lot of red flags coming out of Seattle. A lot of red flags. Russell Wilson's not healthy. The offense can't score. Pete Carroll's frustrated. The talk before the season about Russ wanting out. The talk that this is it for Russ anyway. I know it's very unusual for Seattle not to be in the mix, but if they lose tonight, it's the first eight loss or worse season since Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll started winning together. Their mindset tonight is huge for the game. I don't have a really strong feeling about this game one way or the other, but I do have a strong feeling about this. I don't think that the chances of Washington getting blown out tonight are very high at all. Like 10%, a 1-in-10 chance that Seattle wins big, meaning that they win you know, by 10 or more. I think the more likely of the results, like a 60% chance, is that this game is decided by 7 points or less either way. And I think there's like a 30% chance, nearly a one in three chance that Washington wins by a comfortable margin. I think Washington's chances of winning by a comfortable margin are higher than Seattle's. I do feel that way. I think it's just the momentum that they have coming into this and the lack thereof that Seattle has coming into this. I think fully healthy, fully engaged Seattle's probably a better team, but not right now. Um, And I don't know, I'm going to go Washington 27, Seattle 13. You know, I'm going to go with that 1-3 in three chance that Washington ends up winning by a comfortable margin. I th- Those percentages I gave you is what I think, you know, an odds maker would give you on, you know, uh, sort of a point differential tonight. I just have a feeling Washington's going to win this game um, in a way in which we're not sweating it at the end one way or the other and that tomorrow morning they're going to be 5-6 and six and the seven seed in the NFC uh, playoff picture. That's my prediction. We'll see what happens. Up next, uh, Michael Sean Dugar covers the Seahawks for The Athletic. He will be our guest right after these words from a few of our sponsors. So, one of the big questions tonight is what will Washington be getting uh, with Seattle coming into town? Uh, A big mystery team, certainly at three and seven. Not used to seeing the Seattle Seahawks at three and seven. Michael Sean Dugar covers the team for the Athletic, and he joins us right now. He's in town for the game tonight. And really, I think that's been the conversation, Michael, uh, with many of us. It's like, what are we getting? This is, you know, two, three weeks ago. I think everybody looks at the schedule and says, well, this is probably a loss Seattle. It's it's Seattle, but it's not been Seattle. So I would ask you, are they going to be a desperate team or, or are they a team that's already done?
3: Uh, Well, that depends on who you ask. Um, If you ask people inside the building, they still believe they got a shot. Like just, we got to go seven and oh, it's not going to be hard, but that's just kind of what it is. This franchise has battled off seven wins in a row before with this quarterback and this head coach. So, You know, they believe in in what seems virtually impossible. If you ask me, they're done. Uh, I think they were done uh, when Russ's finger went the other way on Thursday night football uh, in Week 5. I just kind of – I've seen enough of this team. Uh, I've seen its its strengths. I've seen its weaknesses. And I knew that Russ was one big old strength. Uh, And him, his finger pointing the opposite way or the way it's not supposed to point, that spelled doom. And that's exactly what has, you know, transpired. Uh, So I – I think there's a lot of things that have contributed to them being three and seven at the moment, but like Russ's finger getting messed up is problem number one in my book.
1: Yeah, you know what's interesting is with Geno Smith, they nearly beat the Steelers and they nearly beat the Saints, right? So they were still a competitive team. Alex Collins was running it pretty well. I know, Geno Smith, you can't win, you know, eight, nine games and threaten a playoff spot. But it's almost as if they were more competitive in those losses than they've been against the Packers and the Cardinals in the last two, which leads me to believe that Russ really isn't anywhere near being Russ, which is kind of what you're saying, right?
3: Yeah, it's not just that Russ missed the time. It's that, like, let's put it this way. So the doctor told Russ, hey, man, your finger needs surgery. It's probably going to take about six to eight weeks to heal. Russ, it's, it, it was like one of those alternate reality things. Russ heard, oh, I can be back in three weeks. And it was just like, I mean – in one way, that's admirable. Sure, man, you beat the odds. It's, it's like when my GPS tells me 50 minutes, and I get there in 45, and I'm like, yeah, I beat it. But realistically, it's like, dude, there's a reason why a professional told you six to eight weeks, right? <laughs> like it, he wasn't just it, pulling numbers out of his butt, you know. And Russ views like what he did as like you know beating the odds. That's his whole career. He views it that way. It's understandable. But if you're like anyone else who doesn't have any vested interest in uh, Russ and his finger beating the odds it's just like, uh, maybe he actually should have took the five or six weeks you know, to get back, and you look at how the offense has performed, you know, Russ hasn't thrown a touchdown in the last two games and you know, it's probably not a coincidence, as everyone knows he's pretty good at throwing touchdowns
1: Yeah, he's thrown two picks, no touchdowns. His completion percentage is barely over 50%. He's obviously not even been the dual threat as a scrambler or as a designed runner or a read option runner. Um, And really one of the issues you can see is they can't stay on the field on third down. That seems to be, you know, as big an issue for them all season long as anything else. Tell me about, you know, with Russ Hurt, without Russ Hurt, just what this Seattle offense has been even, you know, when it was healthy.
3: Um. Yeah, like you said, they're really bad on third. Like Russ is really bad on third down this year. and I mean, historically, he's actually not super great on like third and, four and beyond, like third and four to six in his career, he's actually pretty solid. Um, but in obvious passing situations, which is what third and longs essentially are, the threat of the run is basically eliminated. Uh he's he, his numbers is not great, uh, for his career. You know, as great as he has been, I think he's made the Pro Bowl like eight times. That particular situation, like when the defense knows he's going to pass, has not been particularly great. Some of that is his O lines have been crap, you know, so when the defense knows you're gonna pass, they dial up exotic blitzes and unleash Aaron Donalds of the world and kill you. Um, But that's just real. They've hit like the extreme of third down variance, uh, I think. And they're on the low end right now where Russ's numbers are awful. Um, They're like the worst third down team in the league. Them and like the Lions, I think. And it's not just Russ. It's not just the protection. Guys aren't getting open. The play calls aren't great. Like it's just a whole host of errors that resulted in them. I think they're last in the league in total offensive plays run. Like like I said, Russ's third down numbers are trash. The whole third down offense, unless it's third and three or shorter, they're just pretty just awful. It's it's crazy. Now I think Washington has like the worst third down defense. Um, So we'll we'll see something's got to give here tonight
1: yeah Washington's third down defense was dreadful for the first eight games, but they've been a different team defensively the last two. and that's what I wanted to ask you next. Is it my imagination or is Seattle's defense defense, which has been labeled as a bad defense, but has it played better recently?
3: Yes, very similar to Washington. I think where you when you when you're looking at the numbers, maybe where you start the split. Matters, I think. For why was that for you guys? Probably like after the bye week, yeah, or something like that. Yep. Probably, yeah. So for for Seattle, it's probably week four, which is when they um they benched one of their cornerbacks and then they uh, inserted their dime package in their 60b grouping. And since then, they've had like one of the best third down defenses in the NFL. Um, even with uh, just allowing, I think Colt McCoy to go like 50% in their last game. So yes, to answer your question, if you if you split week four. Uh, maybe even specifically week six, which is when they inserted rookie Trey Brown uh, into the lineup as their number one cornerback, the defense has been playing much better. The third down defense has been like lights out. Um, they're not getting a bunch of turnovers. They're not even getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback. They're just getting off the field on third down and they've been really good in the in the red zone. That's kind of been holding it together, uh, but which is why when they didn't have one of their starting cornerbacks and DJ Reed, they didn't have Trey Brown for most of that Cardinals game because he blew his knee out. The third down numbers went to hell. Uh, They weren't as good in the red zone anymore, and then they ended up losing to Colt McCoy. So I think D.J. Reed's going to play tonight against Washington, but Trey Brown's out for the year. So the defense has improved, but I think we could see them start to regress back to where they were in the first few weeks um, without Trey Brown in the lineup.
1: Tell tell me real quickly about the health of the team. You know, uh, obviously Russ probably still not at a hundred percent with the finger, and I know there have been some running back issues. But um, and you just mentioned the defensive loss. But other than that, where are they? Uh, you know, health wise, coming into tonight.
3: Yeah, it's not not looking great. I mean, yeah, Russ Russ and the finger is still a thing. But yeah, Trey Brown. I mean, Trey was making a really big difference. He's eh? just a feisty guy. He hadn't, and you know, a small sample. Started like four games, but right. he didn't allow a first down catch in, you know, in like a month. The only time he allowed one was to AJ Green last Sunday, and that's the play he blew his knee out on. Him, and he just buckled, you know, mid route. So, I mean, who knows if I would have broke up that too? So that's a big loss. They're out, they're down left guard uh, Damian Lewis. I think he's got a shoulder thing. Uh, they're back when their backup guards or tackles, uh, Jamarco Jones. He's got a back injury. He's on IR. Uh, Rashad Penny, their number two running back, he's uh, he's either going to go on IR, he's probably not going to play today. Their best pass pass protecting back, uh, Travis Homer, he's probably not going to play today. He's got a calf injury. You know, I mean, they're, Chris Carson's already out for the year. It's really it, it's not looking great on the injury front uh, over here. Like on defense, they're looking okay minus Trey Brown, but on offense, they're really missing some pieces to make this thing go.
1: So give me the formula. You've already said that you think they're done, but it depends on who you ask and they're probably looking at, you know, every NFC you know, playoff contender basically losing. I mean, Washington with a win tonight is actually the seventh seed after, you know, three weeks ago losing to Denver and falling to two and six and thinking that this season may be headed towards like a three or a four win season. It's crazy. You guys still have Washington, Houston, the Lions, you know, the Bears on the schedule. So I'm sure a hardcore Seahawks fan is saying if we can get tonight, we can get Russ healthy. You know, we still got a chance to get to eight or nine and maybe be in this thing um what's the formula if you know you're going to at least consider the possibility that they're not done and that they can win
3: uh they have to do two things they have to be much better on third down and i think a lot of that is going to have to they're going to have to abandon their structure on third down like on third down you try to have a plan like here's what defense is going to do all right, here's how we're gonna combat it. I think they just gotta go into it and say, we're gonna Russ. You might just have to start running around again, like you were doing your first, second, third year in the league. Use your legs because your arms ain't ain't getting it done. And I think on defense, they really have to just acknowledge that their pass rush isn't very good with the, their D line. Because right now Pete Carroll's thinking, all right, let's just you know we can rush it four, maybe occasionally go five. No, 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 man, your pass rush is awful. So you need to go full on Ravens Dolphins mode and start cover zeroing it up uh, here you know, on the final stretch because the only way you're, you're, your your third-down defensive numbers are going to be unsustainable. You're going to have to generate pressure and turnovers and try to put the field in those ways. So I think they basically got to acknowledge the parts of their team that are bad. You know, They're like living in this reality where they just think they can magically turn it around and guys will just start playing better in Week 12 and 13. It's not how the NFL works. If you're bad at something at this point in the year, you're going to stay bad at it, barring a major personnel change. So they need to acknowledge the D-line is not very good and acknowledge perhaps on third down that the play calling isn't very good, um, and then hope they can get lucky for the next, like, seven weeks.
1: Uh, Pete Carroll seemed really frustrated last week. I think he walked out of the press conference and then walked back in. He was frustrated with the officiating um, in Green Bay. What is his state uh, of mind right now?
3: He's one of those people living in that, like, false reality. And, like, I get it to an extent, right? You can't just – you know, can't just like, all right, we're always we're gonna go in seven for the rest of the year. No, it's like oh, I have to think we're gonna go seven and zero. Oh. I'm the coach. It makes sense. Pay twelve million dollars a year, you should think you're gonna go seventeen and zero. Oh. I get it. But also, coaches acknowledge players aren't very good all the time. They acknowledge schemes aren't working all the time. And I I think that's kind of where Pete has to. You gotta start coaching the team he has. That's coaching the team he wants to have. Like, acknowledge your D line is bad. You're gonna have to start blitzing more or something. Uh, you're just not gonna start magically getting better at rushing the pass. Just unless you start playing third-string left tackles, you know, for the whole rest of the season, which is not going to be the case. So, uh, Pete's in a weird space. You know, him and Russell. Like they said, like I said earlier, they've won, they've rattled off seven wins in a row before, I think, um, or something close to it. Like they, they can do this. They believe that, but they're wrong (laughs) if they just proceed with the status quo. They need to acknowledge the deficiencies that they have within their system and their personnel and then they can perhaps do it. But They just think things are going to magically change. At least that's how it feels, and that's just not how football works.
1: At Mike Dugar on Twitter, uh, that's Mike, D-U-G-A-R. He covers the Seahawks and has uh, for the Athletic. Um, as I mentioned to everybody, um, uh, when we have somebody from The Athletic on, I'm a customer, I'm a subscriber. It's totally worth it, uh, especially if you're a big football fan um, in this market uh, and you'd be able to read Michael um, as well. Uh, I'll, le- I'll leave you with this one last question. Just give me a prediction on tonight. I, it sounds like you're leaning Washington.
3: I think I am. I, probably really close, though. So I'm not going to lie, I haven't studied Washington's offense as much as I have. Uh, previous Seahawks opponents, just because I've been so focused on the Seahawks and their struggles that I haven't got to dive into the opposing team. But I just, I feel like the Seahawks are just—it's because I don't think they've acknowledged the realities of their situation—that I think they're going to lose. They're probably on paper still more talented than, than Washington, but they were more talented than Arizona too. in lost, so um, I think. Uh, what's the what's the line on this you know? it's it's, that it's you?
1: right now seattle's minus one or it's a pick i mean it's basically a pick 'em in most places
3: yeah last last time i saw the pick them too yeah uh i'd probably just take washington real close probably The the uh maybe like 21 to 20 or something like that or something real real close probably get an ugly game in the first half for a little bit probably similar to baltimore and cleveland we saw last night uh we yeah, i think i'll take washington and at three and eight that's probably when Seattle will have to realize, guys, this thing, this thing is done. Um, at four and seven, they have some hope, uh, but three and eight, they can't.
1: At four and seven, they're only a game out of the seventh spot in the NFC playoffs. By the way, by the way, Mike tweeted out last night upon his arrival to uh to 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 D- the DC area. Every time I'm on the East Coast, I understand more and more why people in this time zone don't be staying up to watch sporting events that start at or after 7 p.m. Pacific time. Yeah, that's because it's ten o'clock our time and the game ends at you know one a.m. if it's a football. Football game. I did stay up only because I bet USC the other night to watch USC and <laughs> BYU until about 1.15 in the morning. But it's rare. Um, anyway, enjoy uh, the weather. It's not that bad. It's a little windy. It's supposed to die down. Not super cold. Um, so uh, enjoy the East Coast while you're here. Thanks for doing this on such short notice. I appreciate it.
3: Yeah, no, I see why East Coast people are big fans of Pac-12 after dark. Like, I get it. <laughs> I do get it.
1: Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. No problem. All right, a little bit from this past weekend when we come back right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
2: First and goal, Maryland. Tuna keeps it, cuts back at the
0: 5, finds the end zone, touchdown, Terrapins.
1: Congratulations to Mike Loxley and Maryland's football team. Six and six bowl eligible. They dominated Rutgers 40 to 16. This is big for Mike's team. You get the extra month of practicing. I remember Ralph Region once telling me that the extra practice you get for a bowl game really pays dividends the following year. They get to spend almost an, an additional month uh, with their players, especially when they've got a lot of players returning, which Maryland does. Leah, tremendous, 312 passing yards, three touchdowns, no picks. They stayed away from a lot of self-inflicted damage, only seven penalties, no turnovers. There was the end of 1st half um, shenanigans uh, that could probably have been handled better. But congratulations to the Terps. They finish... Fifth in the Big Ten East ahead of Rutgers and Indiana, um, and they finished six and six overall. Um, at the very beginning of the season, I had Steve Souter on the show before their opener against West Virginia, and he said. This is for bowl eligibility. He essentially said if they beat West Virginia, this is their best chance to go 6-6 six and six and have a game at the end of, uh, end of the year against Rutgers for bowl eligibility. And he was looking, you know, again, you know, Iowa and Ohio State and, you know, Michigan State and Michigan and Penn State as losses. I mean, right there, that's, you know, five to six losses potentially. And he thought that that West Virginia game would be huge, and it was. And they beat West Virginia 30-24 to in the opener. Uh, wearing, by the way, the Terps throwback uniforms, the 80s Terps uniforms, which they wore on Saturday against Rutgers. I wish they would wear them all the time. Where are they headed? We'll find out on Sunday. But congrats to Mike Loxley and Maryland's football team. Speaking of college football, the two games on Saturday that were, you know, tremendous were michigan ohio state and then the iron bowl auburn and alabama the michigan ohio state game i told you all last week that the line reeked to high heaven it didn't make any sense Um, It should have been a lot higher. Uh, The public pounded Ohio State. Michigan not only covered, but they won the game outright. They dominated the line of scrimmage start to finish, and that's where this game was won. 297 rushing yards for Michigan against Ohio State. Hassan Haskins was outstanding. He scored five rushing touchdowns, 169 yards rushing. Um, They averaged 7.2 yards Per carry. You don't have to look any further. That's the game right there. Michigan's line of scrimmage offensively, their O line dominated Ohio State's defensive line, and Hassan Haskins ran hard and they crushed him up front. 42 to 27 in the snow. What a scene at the big house. Jim Harbaugh gets his first uh, win against Ohio State. Later on on Saturday afternoon, the Iron Bowl was incredible. Auburn shut out. Alabama through three quarters, leading 10 to nothing. They had a quarterback hobbling around on one you know, leg, essentially. And then Bryce Young leads the drive of the season, 97 yards um, down the field at the end of the game to tie the game at 10 apiece, force overtime. We get two overtimes, uh, and then we're into the two-point conversion shenanigans, which is just completely unacceptable. I expect college football to change this. I don't think we'll see it next year. Um, it's a gimmicky, fraudulent way to decide a game to have them line up for two point conversions. It's not football. It's a penalty kick version of the sport that's not what our sports have. It's not how we get we decide games. you know, a hockey game's different in the regular season. You don't decide a hockey game in the postseason with penalty shots. okay? This is a joke. Um, it's not football. Alabama got their two-point conversion uh, on their second try. Auburn did not. They win the game 24-22 in four overtimes. We had the nine-overtime game earlier this season uh, with Penn State and Illinois. I, I do not see college football having this next year. Uh, it is Look, it's a subjective thing. I'm not a big fan of the, of the college overtime rule of starting it at the 25, but at least that resembles football. Uh, A one-play, two-point conversion um, doesn't resemble football. It's stupid, and uh, hopefully they'll get rid of it. Uh, Alabama survived. Here's the interesting thing about Bama. They're not passing the eye test right now. They have to beat Georgia, or I don't think they're in. Uh, But all hell hell could break loose this weekend, right? I mean, uh, Oklahoma State could lose to Baylor. Uh, Michigan could lose to Iowa. Uh, Georgia could pummel Alabama. Cincinnati could lose to Houston. I mean, other than Georgia right now, nobody is an absolute lock. You know, I think Bama with the eye test now makes it imperative that they beat Georgia or they're not going to be in. And I think Notre Dame's chances increased significantly. They don't have a championship game to play in. And all they got to do is sit back and root for Georgia to beat Bama, Houston to beat Cincinnati, Iowa to beat Michigan, uh, Baylor to beat Oklahoma State. Uh, really, for them to be in, uh, of those four things, just two of them. Have to happen, and then Notre Dame would be in the mix. Um, going to be a crazy weekend in college football, uh, for sure. Uh, by the way, the Wizards' win over the Mavericks on Saturday night was tremendous. I think in many ways it was their best win of the year. The Caps beat the top two teams, and now they're the top two. Now they're the top team after they beat Florida and Carolina. How about Ovechkin with four goals over the weekend, including a hat trick against Florida, uh, against the Panthers? Um, Max Scherzer's headed to New York. That's crazy. Um, Big money for him, a reported $130 million. All right, I want to get this done and out. I know I'm running late today, had some stuff to get done.